This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles, Job chapter 3. The book of Job is in the poetry section of our Bible, and for good reason. It is considered to be great literature, and there is some formatting of poetry in the Hebrew style uh, that, that comes from this, uh, illustrating, again, that it was probably written by Moses under inspiration as he penned uh, what had been handed down from these events and as he was also led of the Holy Spirit. It has always intrigued me that what we have in the book of Job these long sections of dialogue. It's not that anyone was running a tape recorder. Oh, I shouldn't say that. No one was running, what do we use today to record? It's not a tape recorder, but anyway. No one was recording it, okay? Except God. And usually in heated debate, it's hard to get what they're saying anyway. But Job is pouring out his heart. He's got three friends who are trying to convince him that he messed up, and that's why he's facing all these things. And we have every word of what was discussed. That's God. And by the way, it's all true and accurate. But it also gives us a window into Job's heart it shows us what can happen in our hearts when we suffer, what we're tempted to think. It also reveals what we can say to those who are suffering and not be a help at all. So the book teaches us how to suffer, and then it also teaches us how to help those who are suffering or how not to. Folks that are suffering don't need sermonizing. They need your sympathy and your prayer. Now, as we continue through the book, there are many chapters here. And I, I just want you to know, we're not going to look expositionally at every chapter. All right, We'd be studying Job until the Lord came back. However, we are going to take the things that Job said, and we're going to take a closer look. I'll just summarize the things that his friend said, because we know at the end of the book, God comes and he says, you did not speak what was true concerning me. So what do we even do with that? Uh, you've got to be careful preaching any of that, unless uh, those guys say something, those friends say something that agrees with Scripture someplace else. They do say some true things. The problem, though, was that they were saying it about Job, and that wasn't true. So it's a very interesting book, and it's a book, because all Scripture is profitable, it's a book that we need to take a very close look at. So pray for me as I seek God's guidance through this. A number of years ago, I preached through Job, but I'm not even looking at those notes anymore. I want God to help me take a fresh look in order for the Holy Spirit to help us. 
This week we've been reminded that suffering is as common to the human experience as oxygen. But think about this. Sometimes our human experience can suck the oxygen right out of our lives. Have you ever got news and went, ah, I mean, quite literally, ah, what just happened? That's a reality for all of us. Now, God has given us the exact help we need in Scripture, and the essential principles are found in the book of Job, as well as other places. It is God's answer for when saints suffer. We do not know how long it was before Job uttered the words that we'll study this morning in chapter 3, which also means that we don't know how long Job waited and God was silent. We're told to wait on the Lord, right? But all of us have our limits. We shouldn't be limited in waiting on the Lord, but when we're facing heated circumstances in life, isn't it true that, Lord, you, you do know that, that we're under a time restraint here, that there are deadlines, and, and Lord, if this doesn't get resolved, uh, they're going to take my house, Lord, they're going to fire me from my job. Uh, Lord, the disease is going to continue in my body. Lord, uh, can we get some answers here? What we do have recorded are Job's thoughts as he tries to cope with severe hurt and tragedy. His thinking is expressed in nine speeches that he delivers, most of which are also rebuttals to the accusations of his his friends. I think they really were friends, but they, they had a problem. They were self-righteous and thought that they knew as much as God. And so in this series, we'll compare what Job says with what we know to be true about God. If, if you could know what I was going to preach, and then we could go back through the words of what the choir sang, uh, tune my heart. To, to sing thy praise, what Rachel uh, just sang. Uh, our great king, the fact he is in control, that he knows. And so this book is going to end by just showing us we've got to focus on who God is, and that's all we need. He is all sufficient. He doesn't need to explain to you what's happening in your life. But one of the hardest lessons for the people of God to learn. So God will use uh, some masterful ways to help Job and us, at the close of this book, understand how to handle suffering. So in chapter 3, Job gives in to three of the most common thoughts people have who are experiencing traumatic pain and tragedy. We're probably only going to get to look at two of them today. We'll, we'll see how we do on time. We'll try to finish on time. But there are actually three in chapter one, and that's why we're going to look at what Job actually says. Now let me just pause for a moment and say, Job is a really smart guy. When you're facing severe trouble and you open your mouth and your heart spills out, it tells you a couple things. It, talks, it shows you your walk with the Lord, 
what you understand about your Lord. And, and it really does just tell everybody how smart you are. In severe trouble, Job just opens his mouth, and this is what comes out. And I, I will have to tell you, I look forward to meeting Job someday, but uh, this guy is a whole lot smarter than I'll ever be. And so it also helps us to be reminded that everybody suffers. You can be wealthy, you can be really smart, uh, you can be really godly. All of us are going to face suffering. So what comes out of Job's mouth, it was in his heart, about his troubles. And I've entitled the message today, What Not to Think When Trouble Comes. That's what this book shows us as part of the teaching God has for us. Now here's the first thought that people are tempted to have. Here it is. It would have been better if I had never been born. You're going to see it right here in the text. It would have been better if I had never been born. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just wonder if anybody in this room has ever thought that. I think I have our attention. I've been tempted to think that. So in this third chapter, Job gets an A+. For taking the day of his birth, his birthday, and in his mind shredding any significance of that day. He just tears it up. Oh, but today's my birthday. Ah! Watch what he says. Verse 1. After this, Job op opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. That word cursed is the expression of actually uttering a curse. I don't think he swore here, but he did curse. He had contempt for, he despised his day. And we're going to listen as he does this. Now this is a summary verse in the content that follows now in chapter, or in chapter 3 here. Look at verse 2. And Job spake and said. So here's, here's the content of his despising, having contempt for his birthday. And Job said, let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud, and this is the wording for a thick, dark cloud, dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. In other words, let the awfulness of this day Cause it to bring terror. Now again, I, I pause and who talks like that? This really smart guy. This is what churns in his head with his suffering. But look at that, what he says in verse 5. Let the awfulness of the day cause it to bring terror. Just recently, we celebrated 80 years, or we look back on 80 years of what happened at Pearl Harbor. It was called a day that will live in infamy. The president said it at the time. When you hear Pearl Harbor, not a good day. In fact, an awful day. It's a day to remember. And that's what Job is stating about his day. For those who were there when Pearl Harbor happened, the attack, 
and survived what took place. Uh, the thought of it continues to bring pain. Some of them were severely uh, handicapped and crippled in that thing. For some, it brings flashbacks, sleepless nights, and that is what Job says about the day of his birth. Verse 6, as for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. In other words, keep it off the calendar. Let it not come under the number of the months. What is Job saying? It would have been better if everyone forgot the day I was born. Verse 7. Lo, let the night be solitary. And what that word means is barren. It would have been better if on that night nobody heard anybody had a baby. Let it be barren. Let no joyful voice come therein. Now before we read verse 8, it needs some explanation. Notice the words, the translation, their mourning. This is why it's so important that you look at the words, the actual words, and even if you haven't had Hebrew, you can you look at helps, there's Bible software and so on that will bring to light what these words are. The English translators uh, put that in here back in the days of King James. But the Hebrew word here, you may want to make a note, is the word Leviathan. Leviathan. The word itself means twisting one. Now you young people, listen carefully. All right, this will be of interest to you. God will describe this creature, Leviathan, in detail in Job 41. And it fits the description. In fact, I went, uh, Answers in Genesis has some wonderful material. That's the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. They have some wonderful information and research on who or what this creature, Leviathan, is. All right? But the Lord helps us too, Job 41. Some have said, well, it's a crocodile. Well, there are similar characteristics, but it doesn't fit everything that God says about it in chapter 41. Some have said, it's a hippopotamus. Well, probably not. Okay. What they've discovered that in this area, they've, they've found fossils, there's historical records going all the way back to antiquity, that this was in fact a dreaded sea dinosaur. It's also talked about in the Psalms and in Isaiah. If you were out on the sea, and of course where this happened, uh, close to the Red Sea, when we look at where uh, Job was from, uh, also across into the Mediterranean, there's, there's also, again, record of this sea creature being there. And this was a dinosaur, a sea dragon, and if you were out in a boat and it didn't like you, it made a shark look nice, okay? And so in this day, and these, again, these people knew what it was to be on the water, to fish, and so on. In the day, if you were having a bad time, what the passage seems to indicate, and what commentators seem to agree on, is that the curses that they would use, the oaths that they would take, uh, they would often say, curse, that this is like Leviathan. If your world's coming apart, if you're having a bad day, 
not Job, but he does bring into, into view here, they would curse Leviathan. It's as if, my, how's your day? It's as if I ran into Leviathan. Ooh, not a good day, huh? No. That's the imagery. And so let's take a close look now. Verse 8, let them curse it, my day of birth, Job is saying, that curse the day, any day, any bad day, who are ready to raise up, and here's how the, the wording literally is, raise up curses to Leviathan in their mourning. Now, that took a little work, and I hope you got it. Okay? Now, please, young people, let's, let's not, I shouldn't even say, you're going to do it. Walk around, how's your day? Oh, Leviathan. Okay, I know it's going to happen at Good News, but anyway... Um, that's what was happening here. Verse 9, let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark, let it look for light, but have none, neither let it see the dawning of the day. Now that dawning of the day, that, that's another familiar phrase. And as we move through Job, we're going to bring out, there are a lot of things that we say just commonly. They're found in the Bible and especially in the book of Job. Now why is he saying all this? Verse 10, because that day shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Maybe you came in here today and it's been a really bad week, or maybe you're in a spell where you just wonder whether you can go on or not. Just maybe your flesh has tempted you to think, you know, it would have been better if I had never been born. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, and guess what? You're not the first person to think that. In fact, there's a very godly man in the Bible. He thought it. And oh, by the way, we can't take time, but we could go to Jeremiah's prophecy, and you know what? A godly man named Jeremiah, there was a day where he uttered words very similar to what Job is saying. So you're in good company, but it's still not the right way to think. So we need to ask the question, what does God think of this statement, it would have been better if I had never been born? What do you think he thinks of that? Since he is the exclusive, exclusive life giver, the statement says that God didn't know what was better. When you utter that, when I think that, you're, you're really saying, God, I, I, in this account, this matter, I know better than you. God, you messed up when you recorded every body part of mine in your book in heaven. Psalm 139, 16 says, Let, or I'm sorry, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God recorded everything about you in heaven before you were even conceived. When we were at the Crisis Pregnancy Center Thursday night, we went into one of the rooms where they have ultrasound 
one of two rooms where they have ultrasound, where a medical technician shows the mother the baby. And there on a big screen TV, we got to see the recording of an ultrasound, the baby. We could see the heart beating. We could see all the limbs. And then the person giving us the tour said, anybody want to guess how far along in development that baby is? And some of the moms, there were two moms there, Renee was one of them. Well, there were several moms, but two on the tour. And, and they guessed what it was, and they were really close. But as we were looking at that, eight weeks along, heartbeat, all the limbs. But it struck me, and by the way, everything we see on that ultrasound, the master designer in heaven, he already had that on blueprint. Well, it would be better if I hadn't been born. Do you realize what you're saying to the master designer? To creator God? You messed up. Question, did he mess up? No. No, he didn't. Was God careless when he placed your name in his book of life? Was it a random act? No. When God said he loved the whole world and sent Jesus, so whosoever can be saved, did he mean you? Help me, did he mean you? Yes. Does he love you? More than you could ever comprehend. The book of Job proves God has his eyes on every soul on this planet and he is up to something good in every one of those lives, including yours. He created you to fellowship with him now and forever. Your circumstances are meant to draw you to him and he controls them for his glory and your good, whether you see it or not. And so faith says... This is where Job should have stayed. Though he slay me, I'll still trust in him. God didn't mess up when he gave Job his life, and he hasn't messed up by giving you the gift of life. So you need to think the truth. What is the truth? It wouldn't have been better if you had never been born. So Job has a second thought revealed in chapter 3, and it can be boiled down to this. Death is better than living. Death is better than living. Have you ever had that thought? I don't see any way out of this, so I think I'll escape. Death would be real helpful right now. And you know, all around us and all around the world, people think that way and suicides are way up. In fact, this week I heard the statistic, suicides among high schoolers are up. Because with COVID restrictions, they've locked down my school, my athletic dreams out the window, my prom dreams out the window, uh, being able to graduate, walk across a stage, somebody hand me a diploma, that may not happen. And so, because 
young people think that that's what's going to satisfy and that's what life is about, they think, well, at this point, there's nothing to live for. I'll just escape. But is death really escape? Is death better than living? Now look at verse 11. Why died I not coming from the womb? That's what he's saying. Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? 12. Why did the knees prevent me? And why the breasts that I should suck? Job's conclusion. For if I had died in my mother's womb, verse 13, now should I have lain still and been quiet? I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. So Job is concluding that death brings quiet, sleep, and rest for everyone. Say, what do you mean everyone? Well, you're going to see. Verses 14 on, he starts listing all kinds of people. Look, death is just an escape for everyone, verse 14, with kings and counselors of the earth, which build desolate places for themselves. He's saying that even after they're gone and their palaces crumble, they're still at rest, still at peace. 15, or with princes that had gold and filled their houses with silver. These fortunate ones, when they die, they just have rest. 16, or as a hidden, untimely birth. Why had I not been as a stillborn? As infants which never saw the light, they're also at peace and rest. Now, by the way, that is true. We're going to see that in a minute. Verse 17, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Death is the answer. So let's ask the question, and then we're going to close. Is death better than living? Is it the escape that Job thinks it is at this point in his life? Is it? You need to answer that question. Is it? For the unborn or stillborn, it is eternal life. We know that from David's words in 2 Samuel 12, 23, where the baby that he and Bathsheba uh, had together uh, died and, and David takes comfort. The scripture says he washes his face, he eats food, and his servants are wondering, you've just lost a child, you know, why are you doing better than you were? And he says, the baby can't come to me, but I'm going to where that baby is, a reference to heaven. A just God will take a soul that has never had the opportunity to choose him. Unborn is what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about someone who gets past that age of accountability uh, Romans says they have the witnesses of creation, chapter 1. Romans 2, they have the witness of conscience. If they will open their heart to what they see in God's creation, even his eternal power in Godhead, God will reveal himself to them. But when a child is never even born or dies right after birth, and a gracious, just God takes them to heaven. 
Now, for those who have not had their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ, who have grown to the age where they understand sin and their need of Christ, death is like jumping from the frying pan into the fire. There is no escape if you neglect eternal salvation. Many times the hard things that we face are a result of bad choices that we've made. Now, not every time, and we shouldn't even assume that. So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful about what Job teaches us, these friends that come to Job. But God does say you're going to reap what you sow. God does say the way of the transgressor is hard. But God graciously allows our choices, our sinful choices, the repercussions of those choices, to draw us to himself. The prodigal son is an example. God drawing that boy back to himself. But there is no escape if you neglect eternal salvation. You are already condemned and without, uh, and without Jesus, this life is the best you'll ever know. Wow. So death is not the answer. The answer is turning to Jesus. Repenting of your sinful condition. And I'm talking to the unsaved now. Turning to the Lord. Admitting to him that you're a sinner. That you're lost already under condemnation. That if, if you are not saved, admitting you, you understand you deserve eternal punishment. And then taking God at his word, his gracious promise, the fact that he loves you. That he's provided salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner, I deserve judgment, but I believe Jesus died for me, rose again. Now, Lord, please come into my life and save me. I'm putting my trust on you alone. And here's what God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be rescued, shall be saved. The Lord wants to save you. Yes, he does want you to be with him forever. And by the way, if you will believe on Christ, you'll never die. And you don't have to look to death to be any kind of an escape route. But you've got to believe on him. And what about Christians who think, well, didn't Paul say to be in heaven is far better? So maybe I'll just end it now. What about Christians that think that way? Death is better than living. To want to escape life because you don't think your Jesus is great enough to help you with trials here is no way to step into his presence. Does he not know what you're thinking? So Lord, you weren't great enough to fix my problems. Oh yeah, you could save my soul. I trusted you for that, but you can't fix my circumstances. So I'm going to end it here and I'll just enjoy heaven. When you step into Jesus' presence, you're going to have to deal with that admission. I don't think you were great enough to fix my problem. He knows you're thinking it. You know that was the thinking when you did it. And imagine looking into the eyes of the Lord Jesus having taken your own life. For 2 Corinthians 12, 9 what does he say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, Paul said, therefore I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, I'll just be with the Lord and get it over with. You're already with the Lord. He's right here. He's all sufficient. And he can sustain you through whatever it is. The problem is you're looking at you and how you're going to fix it. Look to God who's already promised to take care of it for you. So Job thinks it would have been better if I had never been born. Or death is better than living. Job then expresses his final thoughts through the rest of the chapter. And that's where we're going to pick it up next time. So this morning. Have you battled these thoughts? Maybe you say, no, I haven't battled them. I've given, I'm giving into them. You need to let the truth of God's word and what it reveals about your God flood over those thoughts that you're thinking. You're going to continue to struggle if you continue to look to you and, and the reasonableness, whatever your heart thinks. Please don't do that. But take the word of God and with the washing of water by the word, let God's word wash that stuff away. And if you need somebody to pray with you, counsel you, encourage you, get help. If the voice of your flesh is so loud in your ears that you can't, can't get a hold of this, you, can't, you need to go to somebody, pray with them, and you need to get help. But don't keep thinking that way. There's no reason to think that way. What if Job had given in to these thoughts? Well, first of all, Satan would have won because things were happening Job didn't even know. And he would not have experienced the growth and the future blessing that God already had in store for him. And you're going to walk away from all that? Please don't. So these are the thoughts not to think when trouble comes. May God help us to remember and then to submit our minds to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the example of Job. Lord, we, we can relate. There's nothing new under the sun. We can relate. This is how the flesh, fallen flesh works. Lord, you're the answer, but we want to look to ourselves and we want to accuse you. That's why the heart is so desperately wicked. But Lord, thank you for revealing your truth. And Lord, would you work now? Help us to respond to the things that we've seen in your word today. And Lord, help your people to say yes to you. Holy Spirit, as you've spoken clearly, help us to come to you for help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. 
May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.